You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1110 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland coming to you on a Thursday evening into Friday, and today's podcast is brought to you by the folks at McDonald's. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty and affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. Today's podcast will break down what became a pretty ugly loss for the Hawks at home against the Utah Jazz, 118, sorry, 116 to 98. On this Thursday evening, the second out of a back-to-back, obviously, for the Hawks and their first home loss of the season. They're now under 500. Um, at this point, through nine games, it's still only nine games. I want to emphasize that it's only nine games. It's early in the season, but the Hawks are now four and five. Um, and with the exception of the new City Edition jerseys and the nice shiny new floor design, make, making the Hawks look very good on this night, there was not a whole lot to uh, write home about um, in this game. The first half, in particular, the first quarter was one of the worst halves of basketball that I've seen in quite a while in terms of just overall aesthetics. Uh, both teams were terrible for the most part in the first half offensively. And then the Hawks were better on offense in the second half, but they also were much worse on defense. Um, they actually led this game by six later in the latter stages of the third quarter. And from that point forward, it was a 58-30 to 30 run by the Jazz to go from down six to up 22 in about 15, ga- 15 minutes of game time. So obviously the game swung there. We'll get into that in more detail. But uh, for the most part, it was a defensive collapse for the Hawks in the last three quarters, and really especially in the second half of this contest, and we'll get into all of that as we always would on the podcast. Um, pre-game-wise, there was a little bit of noise that I'll hit on right now just to get it out of the way. Um, the Hawks announced two sets of G League moves today on Thursday, the first of which was sending Jalen Johnson or assigning him to G League uh, in College Park on Thursday morning, and they also, in that same announcement, um, transferred Sharif Cooper and Skylar Mays to College Park. That's just the wording is different there because Johnson is not on a two-way contract. You can transfer players on two ways, which mean which means Sharif and Skylar have to assign a player on a, full, on a full contract, but it's kind of the same thing. Then they all went to practice, essentially, in College Park um, midday today, and they were all actually um, sent back to Atlanta. So they were all um, with the Hawks tonight. Sharif was actually inactive because they were, uh, they were so healthy tonight. They had to uh, have somebody be inactive, as they have been a few times already this season. But I would expect, or at least project at this point, nothing official, but because G League uh, season opens on Friday, College Park has a home game, I would expect that um, at a bare minimum, I would certainly project, and again, I'm not trying to say that it's official because it's not, um, both Skyler and Sharif to be there, and I would say probably Jalen Johnson as well. If they were to send those guys down there to practice today, um, I would imagine they would probably be playing in College Park on Friday night. So that's all that. It was uh, kind of a weird situation. People were asking me how they could do this. It was basically just to get those guys down to practice, and uh, just because of the NBA logistics, you have to actually send those guys to the G League in order to have them be able to practice with the G League team. So no, that's a huge surprise to me, particularly the two-way guys. They'll be back and forth all season long. And with Jalen Johnson, I said in the offseason, and by the way, so did Travis Schlenk, um, pretty candidly on the record that Jalen was going to be in the G League at some point this year. So I was not surprised by that. I know he's a first-round pick, but the Hawks are not playing him right now, and uh, it's a good opportunity to get him. That's one of the advantages of having the G League team so close by is that you could have your two-way guys and also your other young guys get down to the G League, get some minutes, and then come back. So that's out of the way at this point in time, but we'll see uh, on Friday if they're playing in the G League. That would uh, not be a surprise to me, that's for sure. 
To the game itself, though, on this Thursday evening, uh, it was a back-to-back -back for the Hawks. That's worth pointing out. They, they had to travel before this game. They had a late night coming back from Brooklyn, and Utah did not play yesterday. Um, still, that does not explain everything, but the context is definitely important on some level there. Injury-wise, the Hawks actually had a couple of guys on the injury report. Um, John Collins on, with a foot strain was questionable again, and they actually added Bogdan Madanovich later in the day with right ankle soreness to the, to the injury report as questionable. Both guys played, though, despite being game-time decisions. Um, and on the Jazz side, they had two guys as well, two starters, Donovan Mitchell and Royce O'Neal. Donovan Mitchell, of course, being their best offensive player, um, ended up not playing in this game. Now, I will say, uh, Bet Online, our friends over there, actually still had the Hawks as an underdog, even at home and even without Mitchell at tip-off. It was actually Hawks plus one. Um, context be there being, again, the back-to-back -back thing, the fact that Utah is very good. And also, you know, the Hawks were not exactly 100% in terms of health, but they had guys that ended up playing. So I was a little bit surprised, actually. I actually thought the Hawks might be favored at tip-off once Mitchell was ruled out, but clearly that, that was not the case, and uh, Utah obviously was a better team in this spot. Um, still, though, you know, a lot to get to on the podcast, but again, my, my broad strokes being that the Hawks uh, were competent offensively for the last three quarters, but they were also very, very bad defensively, and we'll dive into all of that in a moment. But before we do, a word from our sponsors on the show today, and this episode of the Locked on Hawks podcast is brought to you by McDonald's, and McDonald's has been proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than a place to just get tasty and affordable food. It is much more than that, in fact. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect. It's a place where classmates can come meet for a study group, knowing that they can depend on the Wi-Fi and the endless supplies of French flies and McFlurries. It's a place where teams and competitors and home teams and away teams rivals and anybody in between come to recharge and it's a place where you can look forward to stopping on a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel mcdonald's has been great for me for a very very long time i'm a fan of all kinds of things on the menu and a sneaky thing for a sports writer slash podcaster like myself is that the dependable wi-fi is a huge huge bonus i can sit there i can eat great food and also work at the same time and i'm always on the go so mcdonald's being all over the place and very convenient and very tasty is a home run for me with all that said, you can head to the local McDonald's right now to refuel and connect. And honestly, it might even be a great spot for a Locked on Hawks watch party. Check out McDonald's today. I'm loving it. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Calm. When it comes to athletes, we tend to focus on the physical fitness aspect, but there's another side of the equation that's just as important, and that is mental fitness. Calm is the number one app for sleep and meditation, and Calm has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind and become the champion version of yourself. LeBron and Colm both know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body, but you do not have to be a world champion to learn how to train it. Anybody can do it, and they can do it with Calm. Calm can help you train your brain to sleep, help you sleep better, reduce your stress, and perform at your best, just like LeBron James. And for LeBron and many others, sleep is a critical part of the mental fitness routine. So if you head to calm.com slash LockedOnNBA, that is calm.com slash LockedOnNBA for a limited time, you'll get 40% off a Calm premium subscription. With Calm, you have access to the nature scenes LeBron loves, like rain or leaves, and so much more, like sleep stories, meditations, and much more. You can be ready to challenge anything that life has to throw your way. Again, for a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron and many others in joining and using Calm and getting a 40% discount and a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash locked on MBA. Unlock the content that can help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash locked on MBA. One more time, that is calm.com slash locked on MBA. Okay, we'll dive into the game flow now. And, you know, the first quarter, as I said before, was pretty hideous basketball. So I want to just say that out loud. 
Um, and not just because of the lack of shot making. That was definitely part of it. But both teams just did not play well in the early going. You know, the Hawks, you could certainly use the excuse to do back-to-back. But Utah, maybe just some rust or something like that. But it was pretty unwatchable for a large portion of the first half. Um, the Hawks opened up with Trey Young on, my, on Mike Conley, which is a good test for him defensively. I thought he was feisty in the early going, at the very least. Um, they had Bogdanovich on Ingles, and then Hunter on the other Bogdanovich, um, the Utah version of Bogdanovich. Um, there's no really to hide, though, Trey, against the starters for Utah. Um, you can put him on, on Russell O'Neal, but Russell O'Neal is basically playing the four, and it's a tough ask to have him do that defensively. So it kind of made sense. They actually did slide Trey to Trent Forrest when he came in the game, a, a young backup guard from Florida State. But other than that, it was pretty noteworthy. I thought at least you don't always see Trey having to guard someone of the stature of Mike Conley as the primary assignment, so I want to at least point that out. Um, the Hawks could have go, gone up 6 nothing actually. Capella missed a pretty point-like layup in the early going, but they still had the lead at the outset. DeAndre Hunter played well in the first half. It was probably the only bright spot along with John Collins, I guess, offensively. But there was one spot where I had to point this out because Hunter had been hot. Of course, he was 6-for-6 six six from 3 yesterday. Um, but he had a pretty decent look, I will say, just in his defense, on a 3 on the left side, but he was getting closed out on him pretty hard, and Bogdanovich was standing by his lonesome, calling for the ball to his right, and uh, it was a pretty obvious swing pass situation for Hunter, and he did not throw it. Hunter shot it and missed it. Um, I, I will say, like, it's, that's just one play, but it's been a little bit of a theme so far for me. You know, Hunter's played well, especially the last two nights offensively, but I think his uh, his playmaking is not quite there yet. I think he's definitely looking for a shot, and that's that's probably good. Um, but it's kind of been the same thing with Hunter and Reddish this season in some respects. You know, Reddish even more so, for sure. But uh, Hunter's playmaking is not quite there. He's missing some pretty, I would say, some pretty easy reads for the most part. But uh, obviously hard to pick, that, pick, pick apart too much because he had, he, had, he had been pretty hot the last two days. Um, there was an excellent help side block by John Collins, I thought, um, early in the first quarter. And then he had a 3 on two possession. And honestly, given the fact that there were not very many highlights in the first quarter of this game, that was definitely one positive swing. Utah, though, scored nine points in the first 10-plus minutes, almost 10 minutes and 40 seconds of the first quarter, which is really funny now because, again, the Jazz scored 116 in the game, and they scored nine points in the first 10-plus minutes of this contest. They had seven turnovers uh, in the first 10 minutes. They were 315 from the floor. They missed eight straight shots. The Hawks were not great either by any means offensively. They were better, I thought, shot quality-wise, effort-wise, production-wise in terms of just execution. But... uh, not building a lead there probably bit the Hawks in some respects as well. Um, rotationally, it was pretty similar to what the Hawks have been doing for a while now in the first half, playing 10 guys. Second half was actually only 9 guys, which we'll get into later on with Gorgie Jang not playing at all in the competitive portion of the second half. Um, but the Hawks also didn't score late in the first quarter, the last two minutes or so. And then the Jazz um, hit two threes in a row to cut the lead down from where the Hawks had been at 7 to up by 1. And, you know, it's kind of twofold here. The Hawks leading a game in which they scored 16, 16 points in the first quarter is probably a positive or a lucky thing, a fortunate thing. But at the same time, flip it around and say the Hawks only up by one when they held the Jazz, a top-tier offense, to 15 points in the first quarter was also pretty ominous. Uh, the two teams combined for some just hideous shooting in that first quarter. It was it's kind of the same for the whole first half, but it was even worse in the first quarter. The Hawks were uh, had, a, had a 76 offensive rating in the first quarter and were winning. Um, they did take care of the ball for sure, but but uh, I will say this: on a night where all the attention was on the on the bad defense, the Hawks actually made a pretty notable defensive milestone. The last time the Hawks held a team to 15 points or fewer in a first quarter was not it was back in February of 2018. So that's a long time ago. Uh, that is pre-Trey Young, as far as <laughs> just keep do the math on that. That's pre-Trey. Uh, so that's a long, long time ago. 
And on a night when they gave up a ton of points from there, that is uh, even weird to even talk about now. But I made note of that and uh, worth pointing out. Um, in the second quarter, the Jazz came alive a little bit. I would still say this. The first 18 minutes of the game, so the first six minutes of the second quarter, were still I, what I described on my notes as truly horrible basketball by both teams. And I mean that. The Hawks' full bench unit was dreadful. Yet again, I still don't like it uh, as a general rule. Uh, but they were minus seven in their first stretch and only stretch really of this game. And it should have been minus eight or nine. Gobert missed two free throws during that stretch. Um, so that kind of was pretty fortunate. And they were they got some decent looks. I thought, you know, Gallo missed an open jumper. So did Herter um, in that stretch. But uh, it was not good for the bench unit again in this game. Hunter did find it a little bit. Later on in the second quarter, he was, one of the, again, one of the only bright spots. At one point, uh, he and Collins were, I believe it was 7 of 9 from the floor. Everybody else was like 3 of 27 or something like that in the first in the first half. Uh, Collins had a couple of uh, had a couple of nice passes, too. There was one to Capella for a dunk. In fact, Capella had this nice off-the-backboard pass by Trey Young, probably the highlight of the night for the Hawks on a dunk. But it was a truly bizarre first half. You know, the Jazz did find their offensive footing a little bit in the second quarter. They shot it much better in that period. Um, but the two teams combined to shoot 37% from the floor in the first half and under 20% from three in the first half. Um, Hunter and Collins, and Collins was good in this game, kind of under the radar. He didn't, he didn't shoot a lot, which is uh, always a problem for me. Not enough shots for John Collins. But those two guys carried the offense. Everybody else was pretty bad. Um, in fact, Collins made the only two three-pointers of the Hawks' uh, first half, and everybody else on the team was 0-14 from three in the first period. Sorry, the first two periods. They took care of the ball, only had one turnover in the first half. That is landmark stuff for the Hawks, but they were so bad everywhere else. They were 8 of 33 on all shots outside of the rim area, and the bench was 2 of 17 from the floor. So all of the bad numbers that you, might, that you might expect. The Jazz were better offensively in the second quarter, but they actually had 11 turnovers in the first half. Um, clearly, you guys know what's coming next, and that is that the offense picked up for the Hawks, but not by as much as it picked up for the Jazz. So uh, an 8-0 run by the Hawks, actually to open up the third quarter. That was the last real bright spot um, from Atlanta. But they led this game by nine points at that point uh, in time. So Collins made, a, Collins made a three. They went to the rotations of uh, Gallinari coming in a little bit earlier, but you know they kind of excised Corey Jang from the rotation. The Hawks were in the bonus. They were cooking. Offensively, Capella looked better at the line than, I, than he has really all year. He was shooting the ball well, I thought. But uh, the big run from Utah, at least the first big run from Utah, came after being down nine, a 13-3 to run by the Jazz. Jordan Clarkson was the biggest reason for that. He got very, very hot. He was actually one of eight from the floor in the first half and pretty bad. Um, then, he has, then he scored eight points in about two minutes in the third quarter. Some bad fouls by the Hawks, a trade, a trade turnover to sort of lead to a three-point play. Um, they did get a, a pretty nice gift late in the third when Gobert missed free throws again. But uh, the Hawks couldn't take full advantage of it. Clarkson scored and scored and scored 15 points in the third quarter. The Hawks did have a nice little close to the period with Lou Williams having a three-point play, his first fireworks of the night there. But at the same time, they allowed 36 points in the third, and the offense kept up, and then they kind of gave out from there. So uh, I will say, to be positive, the offense, as I said, was pretty good in the third quarter. They actually got to the line 12 times, made all 12. And the two teams combined scored 70 points after scoring 79 in the entire first half. But the fourth quarter was uh, 41-24 in favor of Utah, and it kind of felt worse than that. So a 14-4 run by the Jazz to open up the fourth quarter against the bench plus Capella unit to go from a tie game to a 10-point lead, basically, uh, in favor of Utah. Um, there was what I would describe as a dreadful four-possession stretch from the Hawks offensively in the fourth quarter, at least near the beginning. 
couple of bad shots from Lou Williams and Cam Reddish. And then Herter got caught in the middle against Eric Paschal and kind of just like barfed up a shot toward the rim. It didn't really hit anything but backboard. It was a bad, bad, bad possession by Kevin. And then Cam turned it over, leading to a three by the Jazz. And that gave the Jazz a seven-point lead with nine minutes to go. And they went back to the starters from there, but that didn't necessarily stop it. Clarkson hit this crazy three, and uh, it was 10 in pretty short order. It got, it got up to 13 at one point pretty quickly. And the Hawks only, take, only took one three in like the first eight minutes of the fourth quarter. That was a problem. And Utah was bombing away. That swung things in their direction pretty notably. The dagger was probably this three-pointer by Bogdanovich for the Jazz. With about four minutes to go to go up by 14. And then after that, the Hawks called timeout. And if it wasn't already over, Bogdanovich again for Utah got a three-point play with about 320 to go to go up by 17. And that was definitely the end of it. Um, and they entered the bench with three minutes to go. They went to TLC and Mays. Um, brought it to Lon Wright, which that's a thing we'll talk about in a second. But um, yeah, just a dreadful back and forth. The, again, the, the, the second half offensive numbers were totally respectable, but you allow 77 points after halftime, and that will get you beat more often than not. Uh, we'll dive into the numbers and all of that stuff in a second and some takeaways from this contest, looking ahead to the future and more. But first, a word from our friends at Built Bar. I love Thanksgiving, all the good food and treats and plenty of them, but maybe you want a yummy dessert that isn't so full of calories and sugar. And with that said, it's the perfect time for Built Bar. Built Bar is the new holiday dessert. This is something that's totally delicious. I feel good about it. One slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories. That might even be on the low end. But most Built Bars have only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with plenty of protein. Replace the coconut cream pie with coconut Built Bar. Go for a raspberry Built Bar instead of that raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie, and they're low-calorie, low-carb, low-fat, high-protein, and covered in 100% chocolate. Built Bar is a great option for when you're hungry. If Thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough, go for a Built Bar or two. Share some of your family gatherings. It'll make even things less awkward. Maybe Aunt Betty hasn't tried a Built Bar yet. We'll have new surprises all month. Limited time flavors arriving at Built.com regularly, so check out the site often. There's nothing like a Built Bar Black Friday. Mark your calendar. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises. And for now, you can go to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15, 15% off in your next order with Built Bar. Use promo code LOCK15, 50% off at Built.com. And now for the ugly stuff. Tony Jones, who covers the Jazz for The Athletic, a good writer for sure, described the second half for Utah as their best half of the season. Um, You could say, on one hand, the Jazz are very good. And even without Mitchell, they are a potent team. Uh, They were good last year without Mitchell for the most part. At the same time, you don't want to have that happen to you if you're the Hawks at home, um, particularly in a game without Mitchell, and when you are pretty healthy. So that's... uh, sort of foreshadowing for what I'm going to get to in here, but uh, that was not the greatest sign in the world when Tony said that. And, and Tony's very smart. I trust him. And I guess that was their best half of the season so far. The extended run that I did the math on here was that the Utah Jazz went on a 58-30 to 30 run over about 14 and a half, 15 minutes of game time. So at that point, the Hawks were up six, and when it ended, they were down by 22. And anytime you lose a 15-minute stretch by, 20, by 28 points, you're going to lose the game, you know, 95% of the time or higher, and that happened here. Utah scored 101 points in the last three quarters of this game. Uh, we'll go to the offense first to get something a little bit more positive, but even then it wasn't great. The Hawks ended up scoring about 1.3 points per 100 possessions, um, sorry, per possession in this game. That's pretty much, um, you know, after the first quarter ugliness, the Hawks were about their normal average offensively last three quarters. Um, you know, they scored 98 points for the game, but they scored 82 points in the last three quarters. And on a on a quarter-by-quarter basis, you kind of have to take that if you're the Hawks. Now, um, a, a deeper look was like it wasn't great offensively. They took 35 mid-range shots, which is probably too many. 19 shots at the rim, that's not enough. 28 threes is not a bad, bad figure. 
but they kind of stopped taking threes for a large part of a large part of the second half, which kind of burned them. The bench guys that were in the rotation, so the five guys who played real minutes off the bench, were a combined seven of twenty-nine from the floor. That is uh, tough to overcome when you were playing full bench units in particular. Um, they did take care of the ball in this game. Nine turnovers is a good, good figure. Uh, only one in the first half, of course. Um, they were league average or so on twos, but only 25% on threes, 7 of 28. Uh, got to the line 26 times, which is actually pretty solid, but um, points in the paint below average, fast break points below average, just kind of uh, nothing fantastic to hold on to for the full shot profile. And also, offensive rebounding-wise, the Hawks were uh, not good in this game. The Jazz grabbed 88% of their defensive rebounds. That would be uh, off-the-charts elite. The Hawks only got five offensive rebounds on 47 missed shots. Not good. Um, defensively, this is obviously going to be bad. Uh, they allowed a 125 defensive rating in the entire game. And again, I want to remind you, the Jazz scored 15 points in the first quarter. So, from that point forward, uh, it was probably like in the 140 range defensively. Um, I would have told you that it was borderline impossible for the Hawks to give up a 125 defensive rating after the first quarter of this game. And uh, the Jazz shot 58% from the floor in the last three quarters, 60% in the second half. Clarkson had 25 in the second half. And I will, to be fair, he is someone who drives me crazy a lot of the time. But Clarkson is very, very potent and able to score in bunches. And he made some tough shots. That is worth pointing out. The Jazz are really good on offense, but they also made some tough shots in the second half. That also balanced out some bad shot making from them in the first half. And, you know, for large stretches of that, of that second half, the Jazz had the Hawks in rotation. They were not staying connected. Uh, and the Jazz, when it looks good, it looks great. And the Hawks were... Uh, kind of out of sorts defensively. Um, for the game, Utah was 17-41 on threes. That's uh, more makes and more attempts than the Hawks did. They turned over 17 times, but only six in the second half. That was uh, obviously when things shifted towards Utah. Nate McMillan, after the game, talked about how he thinks that their shots not falling affected the defense. I would agree with that. It's been a problem for this Hawks team in the, in the past. You know, They're still fairly young, and I wonder if that plays into a little bit as well. But they definitely lost the plot defensively, and it came after they were missing shots, which is, again, not the first time. It's a point that Tower Jones has made for the podcast um, repeatedly on the show and other places. But uh, it's been – it was pretty evident to me that I think Nate was right about that. He did talk about also, like, needing two-way guys and more energy and all that stuff. It was some coach speak for sure, but he's not wrong. You know, the energy was not great in the second half. The two-way stuff defensively – you know, part of that might be playing some lineups that have better defenders on there. Like Lou Williams in front of DeLon Wright is kind of baffling to me in a lot of ways. But that wasn't going to change everything in this game. No question. So it was a team-wide defensive failure for the most part. Definitely some bright spots along the way. But uh, for the most part, it was an untenable defensive performance after halftime. Um, we'll get into the players now and go one by one. Uh, you know, th there were four guys who played only garbage time. It was Jalen Johnson, DeLon Wright. TLC and Skylar Mays. Sharif Cooper was inactive. Uh, Solomon Hill did not play. I don't know why he didn't come in with the rest of the bench. That was kind of a weird thing that happened there, um, especially when they brought in DeLon Wright. I mean, kind of insultingly in my mind, uh, to have a guy who probably should be in rotation only come in for garbage time, and Solomon Hill didn't. But anyway, um, individually, we'll start with Lou Williams, who played the least. Um, actually, we'll start, with, we'll start with Gorgie Jang, who played the least. Eight minutes for Gorgie, only in the first half, and then he played the, he played the garbage time stuff at the very end of the game. That's now two games in a row. The Hawks have gone to a nine-man group after halftime. Gorgie, you know, wasn't terrible. Misses only two shots. Took took a three that was a shot clock beater at the end. Got three fouls. Um, you know, tough matchup against, against Rudy Gobert and Hassan Whiteside. Um, but he was just okay. N not a huge difference maker at all, obviously. Uh, Lou Williams struggled mightily. He did have one 
you know, two-minute stretch where he had five points in order, but he was two away from the floor, 0 of 1 from 3, uh, five points on the night, didn't have an assist, but Lou has uh, very much struggled this season. Um, that is independently of DeLon Wright, who we'll come back to in a second. Lou, you know, it's been tough to tell you that Lou has been anything other than bad so far. He came into the night 9 of 27 from the floor, so he's now 11 of 45 from the floor this season. Uh, that speaks for itself. Um, so, what are you going to do? Uh, no, not 11 of 45. 11 of 35. <laughs> that's, that's, that's bad, too. 11 of 35 is still bad, but not as bad as 11 of 45. Regardless, uh, minus 12 in 11 minutes. Uh, I will just say this. I've said it a few times now. I think DeLon Wright is better than Lou Williams in 2021. But even if it wasn't just that, I think the fit is better. Um, Lou basically has to give you offense in bunches of his own making for it to be worth it to play him because defensively he is bad. Um, DeLon is not as good as Lou at, at creating offense. That's that's probably true, um, especially for scoring. You know, scoring is not even close. Um, but he can run a pick and roll. He can do some things. He's a, he's a better defender. He's stockier, all that stuff. Um, I would be playing DeLon. I was kind of surprised, to be candid, that they played Lou on a full back-to-back after as bad as he played last night. To have him play over right again was surprising to me. Uh, we'll see if it changes on Saturday in Phoenix. But, you know, Millen said he had, you know, he was kind of asked about that by Chris Kirchner after the game and um, gave a comment about how he's going like, to kind of evaluate all the positions. But really the only one that's like up for debate is back a point guard because you're not going to take out any of the, any, you have four wings that are obviously in the rotation. You have Gallinari is not coming out of the rotation. Um, they can do what they did the last two nights and just not play backup center. But at the end of the day, the one decision in the rotation right now, it seems like, is Lou versus DeLon. And I would be going with DeLon right now. And at the very least, I would be uh, surprised if they didn't try that again in the near future. Um, elsewhere, Cam Reddish struggled in this game. I thought he was pretty bad. He did have four steals, so he showed that playmaking ability defensively. There's no question that's definitely still a strength of his game. But minus 15, 1 of 6 from the floor, 0 of 3 from 3. The last two nights, he's just been very bad offensively. He had the strong start for sure, but uh, some, some regression probably, also just a little bit um, less under control. Took a lot less shots as well, but... Uh, I couldn't have recommended more shots uh, given the way that he was playing. So it was a struggle for uh, Cam in this game. Kevin Herter was not great either. Um, six points, three rebounds, no assists, minus 18. The whole bench it was just terrible, honestly. Um, 0-3 from 3 for Kevin. He had a couple nice under control plays, but um, again, I mentioned that stat earlier about the entire bench and their production. Um, they were 7 of 29 from the floor for those five guys. And there was not a single guy off the bench that played real minutes that shot the ball even decently well. Gallinari won for four. Cam, Cam 1 for 6, Gorgie 0 for 2, Lou, Lou 2 for 8, Herter 3 for 9. And it wasn't just that, but uh, that will tell you a lot about what transpired. Um, and then finally, I think I mentioned Gallo, but uh, he was just out there. 6 points, a rebound, an assist, did have a steal and a block, and took 4 shots. But um, he's not playing a ton right now, and that's noteworthy to me. Um, they've leaned on the starters a little bit. 30-plus um, minutes for every starter in this game. Gallinari is supposed to be like the sixth starter in terms of the money he's making and all that stuff. You know, Gallinari and Herter are the two like you know returning prominent guys from last year plus plus Cam. But Gallo's not been playing a ton, and I, I, don't, really, I don't really blame him. Um, defensively, it's kind of a mess as it's been in the past. Um, the starters were better than the bench in this game, that's for sure. But even with the uh, the positive stuff from the starters in the first half, the regression happened after halftime. Bogdanovich was quiet in this game. Only six shot attempts. A weird number there. I mean, he's clearly battling the ankle on some level because he was out of the injury report, but uh, not a lot of aggressiveness from Bogdanovich um, on the way to eight points. Five rebounds, two assists, uh, minus two. He actually had the best plus minus on the team of anybody that played real minutes, but 
I don't think he was very good. He was kind of passive and just not plugged in defensively either. Um, Clay Capella, 13 points, 10 rebounds, two, two assists, no blocks in this game. Four fouls, minus 10. I thought he uh, lost pretty soundly to Gobert in this game. Not that's a, It's definitely not a surprise to me. You know, Rui's better than Clint Capella is, even if I thought Clint was awesome last year. Gobert is a better player. Um, at the same time, Capella has not been quite himself. This is an observation that was actually from the ATL on 29 podcast. Um, Shots to Glenn Willis and Kevin Chouinard, but I tweeted about it tonight and definitely agree with it. I think the Hawks are, sh- uh, are switching too much with Capella on defense. I actually kind of like switching as a general concept, but with Capella, he's been so good in the drop. Um, and protecting the rim, that having him switch on the floor is something he can do, but it's not been very very productive this season. This game is kind of a weird one, an outlier in that respect, because Utah's offense is def- definitely different than most other offenses. But I think Capella's just not been really dialed in too much in this in the, in, for the season so far. The one bright spot I will point out is that he's uh, looking good at the free throw line. He was at 63% coming in the night. It was 5-6, so I think it's been looking a little bit more smooth, and that's a positive sign. But other than that, not, not his best. DeAndre Hunter, I thought, was solid. 14 points on nine shots. Did actually miss both of his threes. He was 7 of 7 on twos. That's encouraging. Actually, was 0 3 at the line, which is a bizarre thing for Hunter to have. Um, two assists, two rebounds, and a steal. Better in the first half and the second half, as most guys were. But, uh, you know, not, not, not his best nor his worst. Uh, John Collins, I thought, was pretty good again. Um, not enough um, offensive usage, though. Seven shot attempts in 31 minutes for John Collins. That's just not tenable. you got to get him the ball more. Um, 13 points, two rebounds. That was a weakness, though, the rebounding in this game, other than Capella. Um, but one assist, one steal, two blocks for JC, including, I think they were both highlight-level blocks. Hit three threes, one of the only bright spots there from beyond the arc. But, um, you know, Collins is just kind of quieter than you would want him. It's not really his fault. They don't, we're not looking for him in a lot of ways. I thought he was one of the better players, but, um, you know, not an absolute A-plus game from him either. And then finally, Trey Young has been struggling this year, um, by his standards, anyway. Um, did have 21 points in this game, seven assists. So the box score numbers don't look terrible for Trey, but he came into the night with a 51% true shooting mark, which is not terrible, but that is below where you would want him to be. You know, he's been in the mid to high 50s since he kind of had his rookie year struggles, and, you know, you want him to be in the high 50s probably, even on the huge volume that he has. And he came into the night 51%, and it went down after this game. So he was 8 of 20 from the floor, 0 of 4 from 3, got to the line five times, but still scored 21 points on 22 shooting possessions. Um, 23, something like that. So a blow, a blow, uh, the watermark offensive performance from Trey. And there was some garbage time stuff in there too. At one point, I think he had gone three of 17 or something like that for a stretch or three of 13, whatever it was, but it was not his finest hour. He's not been terribly aggressive shooting threes. That's the line later. Um, but you know, not, not driving the offense in the same type of way that he is capable of. And they needed him to be good in this game. I'm not picking on Trey because most guys were not good in this contest. You know, I think I would describe only a couple guys even being like at their baselines. But they're going to need more from Trey in the near future. And he's uh, he's been kind of underwater on a lot of these shooting nights. And I'm not worried that he's going to just stop being able to score by any means. But this is a guy who I think for the season now has only been, yeah, he's only shot f- above 44% in a single game twice this year. And it was back-to-back nights, and it was against uh, back-to-back games. I should say it was against Detroit and New Orleans. And when he's been facing real defenses this year, it's been not efficient from Trey. So uh, I'm not worried, but it's worth pointing out that he's going to have to be better for the Hawks to get where they need to be. And we'll leave that there for now in terms of this game. Uh, but yeah, disappointing for sure. I mean, as a final thought on this one, the Hawks, particularly 
where they were in the third quarter of this game. To lose this game in lopsided fashion is disappointing. It was back-to-back, yes, but um, a measuring stick game that they kind of lost, um, even against a team that was not playing its best offensive player. Okay, before we get out of here, the Hawks have a have a day off on Friday before the uh, sorry after the back to back before the road trip. There's a chance that guys like Jalen Sharif will be playing in the G League opener if people are interested in that. But the real fun begins on Saturday with the Hawks hitting the road for a four game trip to the Western Conference against four very good opponents. They play on Saturday in Phoenix, a late night game on that one. I think it's a ten o'clock start. That's going to be an interesting one for sure. Uh, Phoenix has not been playing great this season, by the way, um, but the Suns obviously won the West last season, so uh, they're still dangerous even if they're not playing at their highest level right now. Then from there, the Hawks go to play a back-to-back against the Warriors in San Francisco and then this same Jazz team in Salt Lake City, and it's always tough to play the Jazz in Utah, and then you throw in second round of back-to-back, altitude, the Jazz are really good. That's a tough, tough spot. And then they finish off the trip with a with a road game in Denver, and the Nuggets are very good as well. So four games against four good opponents, and then they come back home and play Milwaukee at home. And then Milwaukee's been banged up, but still, um, they'll be up for that game, you'd imagine. And the Hawks starting the trip at four and five is not what they wanted. You know, they're three and one at home, but they're also one and four on the road, and this is a, a definitely a challenging time for the Hawks. Um, if they can post a two and two, no one will be thrilled by that. But I think if you told me that the Hawks could, could go two and two, and I could take it right now. I would tell you to do that because they're going to be probably underdogs in three or four, maybe even all four games. So uh, just follow that away. We'll have game-by-game coverage as always, but a tough, tough stretch of schedule, and the Hawks losing these last two games was not what they wanted to do before that began. Okay, that'll do it for today's podcast and also for the week. Again, as I said before, we'll have a late, late night podcast on Saturday night after the game in Phoenix. I hope you will join us for that one as always, but please subscribe to the show. I have had wall-to-wall coverage, even in the midst of covering the Braves World Series run. And congrats to the Braves and Braves fans, by the way. Um, even in the midst of that, um, you know, during World Series games, before World Series games, after World Series games, I'm still hosting this podcast five, six times a week, and hopefully that was appreciated. I will definitely um, keep doing that um, over the weekend, during the week. There's a lot of late nights coming up next week for the Hawks because that you know, anytime you go to the West Coast, the games start at 9:30, 10, 10:30. Um, so stay up late with us, and if you have to go to bed. The best way to catch up on the podcast, uh, to catch up on the games, is to listen to the podcast the following morning. So that's part of the reason why we're here as well. But please, please, please subscribe. Tell your friends. Check us out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you'd like to listen to podcasts. We should be there. If we're not there, let me know that on Twitter at BT Roland or follow the show as well at Locked On Hawks. Enjoy your weekend, everybody, and we'll see you after the game on Saturday night into Sunday.